0: Hello and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And today we're doing Season 7, Episode 13, I'm Still Here, the first episode of 2024. Yes, I'm still here. So we had a week off, which means that we have skipped over the whole Christmas and New Year's period. Yes. From the last time that you all heard us.
1: Yeah, so we hope you had a lovely holiday, however you spent it.
0: And in today's episode... I will be leading the episode and Joel's going to be giving us trivia. What do you have to start us off with? So
1: this episode aired on the 16th of January, 2011, and it was directed by Lonnie Price and was written by Yosan McGibbon and Sarah Parriott, or Sarah Parriott, American. You never really know how they pronounce it ever there. Mm. So the title of this episode comes from the song in the Stephen Sondheim musical, Follies. So there was some IMDb trivia uh, there was a couple actually, but one of them was really long, so I just did this one, which is six out of ten, and by YKR Zeslo 18.
0: When you say trivia, do you mean a
1: review? Review, sorry, not trivia. Okay, thank you. Yes, review. And this was back in January of 2011, so this was quite quickly after the episode aired, and they've titled it. Okay, it's getting a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and so they've put. I used to love the housewives. And Brie used to be my favourite character. I mean, Marsha Cross is the epitome of class in good taste. But let's face it, the relationship with Brian Austin Green turns her into a mother more than a girlfriend. Oh, okay. Bree used to be a lot funnier when she was arguing with Andrew and even with her daughter. And when she passed out drunk, that was good too. <laughs> what <laughs> Now she doesn't shine so much anymore i hope they end up the relationship with green Bree is too sophisticated for him i love larry hagman in the episode this guy will always radiate on screen i hope he does more than a cameo and that he becomes a regular on the show what a way to end the show
0: you know, I would say that Bree's motherly qualities in terms of her relationship aren't really that different with Keith than they are with her last partners.
1: No, no, I do, I do have to disagree with that review. No offence to the person that wrote it. If you listen to this, maybe you do, maybe you don't, who knows? I do think that just listing off Bree's trauma and alcoholism, although is, which is played for laugh in the show, I don't necessarily agree with the fact that just because she had those comedic moments with regards to her alcoholism and her you know struggles with her son's homosexuality or whatever doesn't necessarily mean that that was what made her a good character. And that because she no longer has that kind of dynamic anymore, that therefore means her character isn't as good.
0: Yeah, to be honest, with what happens at the end of Bree's story in this episode... I actually think this is the most interesting thing that she she's had to do for the whole season, this kind of very morally ambiguous storytelling that we have. So what happened this week on the 10th of Jan to the
1: 16th? The British television presenter Miriam O'Reilly, who is 53, wins an employment tribunal case against the BBC for ageism and victimisation, but the tribunal rejects claims of sexism. She had claimed victimisation after being dropped from the BBC One programme Countryfile when it was rescheduled to an evening slot in 2009.
0: I would believe her. I wouldn't put it past the BBC to have some sexist attitudes going on in there. Oh, no, absolutely not.
1: Dr. Conrad Murray is ordered to face a trial for the manslaughter of Michael Jackson in California. Mm -hmm. South Korea buries 1.4 million domestic pigs alive after an outbreak of foot and mouth disease.
0: Oh, that's... that's not the best thing to do.
1: No. Amnesty International criticises the British government for spending nearly one billion on thirty Watchkeeper WK four hundred and fifty unmanned aerial vehicles, which Israelis military allegedly field tested on Palestinians during the Gaza war.
0: Oh my God. Okay.
1: The online encyclopedia Wikipedia celebrates its tenth anniversary of its founding. Fierce. The social network wins best motion picture for drama, while Colin Firth and Natalie Portman win best actor and actress drama at the sixty eighth Golden Globe Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, So the number one song in the US and the number one song in the UK were both Bruno Mars' Grenade. Really? Yes. Oh my god. (laughs) Mm. So the number one film in the US was The Green Hornet, and the number one film in the UK was The King's Speech. Still. Yeah. So that's still going. Yeah. This episode, we hear about Dick uh, wanting to play Scrabble. Mm -hmm. So I've done trivia on Scrabble. Why? Why? Because Scrabble's great. (laughs) Scrabble's a great game. And so now it's just, it's getting to the point now where I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to do fun trivia for random shit.
0: (laughs) And what do you have on Scrabble?
1: So American architect Alfred Mosher Butts invented the game in 1938. The game is sold in 121 countries and is available in more than 30 languages. Approximately 150 million sets have been sold worldwide and roughly one third of Americans and half of British homes have a Scrabble set. There are approximately 4,000 Scrabble clubs around the world. Wow. Wow. In 1938, the American architect Alfred Mosher Butts created the game as a variation on an earlier word game he cre- invented called Lexico. The two games had the same set of letter tiles whose distribution and point values Butts worked out by performing a frequency analysis of letters from various sources, including the New York Times. At the new game, which he called Criss Crosswords, added the 15 by 15 game board and the crossword style gameplay and he manufactured a few sets himself but he wasn't successful in selling the game to any major manufacturers of the day
0: why do we not call it chris crosswords <laughs> because scrapple is a better name than chris crosswords i have to disagree <laughs>
1: chris crosswords it's a terrible <laughs> name thoroughly disagree according to legend scrabble's big break came in 1952 when jack strauss president of macy's played the game on vacation upon returning from vacation he was surprised to find that his store did not carry the game and he placed a large order and within a year everyone had to have one Mm. downsides of the sofas underneath carpets eaten by children and pets alike there are estimated somewhere in the world over a million missing scrabble tiles and each hour at least 30,000 scrabble games are started
0: that's uh, that's an interesting piece of trivia.
1: Yeah, that's all of my trivia.
0: <laughs> so previously, Keith moved in with Bree. Susan got put on dialysis for the foreseeable future as she awaits a kidney donor. Gabby continued to grieve the loss of grace and found comfort in a doll. Doll? Oh shit, here we go again. Bree invited Beth to join the ladies and she discovered a gun under her pillow, leading to some flying suspicions and accusations, but it hasn't actually led anywhere, anywhere yet. Zach Young returned to the lane in disguise, and Paul discovered that Felicia is his mother-in-law. Yes. That was a wild set of previous leads. It really was. Now, let's start this episode with Susan. I've tried to do this in an order where it's not too much devastation all at once. Mm -hmm. So, Susan is getting her blood cleaned, which can take a few hours, so she tries to make conversation with the only other person in the room, a guy named Dick. Mm -hmm. He says he's been coming here for years for four years, and then tells her that he doesn't want to talk to her and he wants to be left alone. Susan seems a bit shocked by this, and then she says, sometimes people tell me you don't seem like a Susan, but you... referring to his name being fitting.
1: Yeah. He seems like a dick. Yeah, he does.
0: He's a bit of a dick. In
1: Dick's defence, Susan is very annoying and you can usually tell right from the outset. So just sitting in a room with her for four hours has probably made him go insane. Well, just the thought of sitting in a room with her for four hours.
0: Yeah, she's only just walked in and he's like, oh boy. Yeah. Oh God, oh man. (laughs) The next day, probably, Susan gets her dialysis again and speaks with a younger guy on the way out who thanks her for studying history with him for his exam, which he passed. So we can see that some people are nice to each other in this room, at least. Yeah. You know, they're making, they're trying to make the most of it.
1: I don't know how I'd feel about sitting in a chair straight after someone else has sat in it for four
0: hours, though. Yeah, it kept it warm for you.
1: Yeah, the thought of sitting on a warm seat really makes me uncomfortable.
0: She then sees Dick again and pulls out Scrabble, saying that maybe they can do it together. But Dick is pretty content with just doing it on his phone. And Susan is clearly one of every three households in the U.S. that owns a Scrabble board. Susan says how miserable this experience is and how she doesn't understand why you'd want to make it more miserable. And Dick refers to himself as a mean cheerleader from a movie who doesn't want to be friends with the new girl. Susan being the new girl in this situation yeah she then tells him he can still stay positive but the guy says that even when he gets a kidney it's because someone died and so the waiting for tragedy isn't so positive after all he then says her intentions are good but that she doesn't have to distract or comfort him and susan says that she wasn't trying to comfort him
1: yeah it is quite sad but i i do think he makes quite a good point
0: also susan kind of like
1: turned it around and made up about herself again yeah i right, know she always does that but I think he makes a very valid point in saying, you know, it's, it's not good news. Like, it's good news for us, but it's not good news for, for other people. And when you start to realise that then it, I guess it becomes quite a conflicting situation to find yourself in. On top of the fact that he's already been doing this for four years, think of the amount of people this guy has probably seen come and go, needing kidneys and getting kidneys, or he's been sitting there waiting for it, probably because he's maybe got a very rare blood type or
0: something. Who knows? Yeah, or possibly they're just deemed more worthy of it or something. Like this kid is younger Yeah. and he gets one later. Yeah. So Susan is back in the hospital. This time she has brought flowers for the room and Dick is miserable as always. Yeah. She tells him to stop trying to drag everyone into his circle of self-pity when the beep in to indicate an available kidney goes off. Dick quickly fumbles through his briefcase but it's actually the young guy who just passed his history test who's getting the kidney. Yeah, good for him. So Susan and him hug. He leaves and then Susan sees how upset Dick is that it wasn't his beeper. The nurse then comes in to start Susan's dialysis and she says that she's going to sit next to Dick today and they hold each other's hand for a moment in a sort of sweet solidarity kind of moment.
1: Again like just the reaction that he had when he heard a beeping and then the disappointment that he felt when he realized it's not his. like how often has this man gone through that? How often has he heard that beeping in that room? Only to feel that disappointment that it's not his, it's someone else's. Yeah, that was sad. Like, re- it is really sad. But, like, this this wouldn't be a very interesting storyline if we didn't have the cantankerous old man. Oh, yeah. So I'm really, I even though Dick is annoying and he's obviously supposed to be sort of the antagonist to Susan right now, I really like that we've got him.
0: He's like an onion. He has layers. Yeah. Like, now okay. let's move on to Lynette. Okay. Lynette doesn't seem excited as her mum is visiting. Twin One then wheels her into the house as she's broke her foot. Twin One. This isn't Cat in the Hat. What's his (laughs) name? Uh, Porter. You don't even know. (laughs) I'm not the one leading the episode. And straight away, she's unpleasant towards everyone. Yeah. She asks what's new. So Lynette starts to talk about her new business with Renee until she's pretty much immediately cut off by her mum telling her that she's actually getting married on Saturday. Lynette is shocked by this timing, but the mum blames this on Lynette for not visiting more often, because apparently phones don't exist when you're getting married. Right. She then says that she wants to meet the guy, so the mum invites her over for the following day in between having nothing to do and waiting for death. I did literally write that down. I was like, I know you're making a point about Lynette visiting, but do phones not exist
1: in this universe?
0: Also, when your mentality is, I'm in between having nothing to do and waiting for death, it's probably not the most fun visit, is it?
1: <laughs> no, it's not. And it's never... I don't think people find it very fun
0: vis- going, you know, going to visit a parent in a home anyway. So the next day, Lynette meets her mom's new fiance at the retirement home, Frank, who jokingly tells her to call him Dad.
1: And for a second, I literally stopped breathing. Yeah, I was, I was like, oh. oh my god. <laughs> Call me dad. No, <laughs> no, no. Well, like, if my mum got with the dude like that, I'd be wheeling her out of that home and finding her another home, which is just women.
0: Yeah. So Lynette is about to make conversation when Frank starts being rude to a member of staff, and we have a clip. Call me dad. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awful if I was that guy? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Frank, um, I've just been dying to meet you and...
1: Just a sec, Hey, muchacho. We've been waiting 10 minutes for our menu. What do I got to do to get you to hurry it over? Build a fence? Hey, it's a menu, not a high school diploma. I'm sure you can find one somewhere. Oh, yeah, well, you were saying something?
0: Yeah, he's not rude. He's racist. <laughs> <laughs> he's racist. He's rude. He's a, he's very obnoxious. It's It's a wild mix of... Awfulness. Yeah, he's that guy. He's that guy where he's like, I'm old and I can say whatever the hell I want. I can't wait to get to that age. Yeah, I know me too. Lynette seems pretty shocked by this. She asks what made him decide to propose to her mum and he says, I love her, what do you think? (laughs) She then asks about previous marriages and he says two died and two left him.
1: He's such a weird man. He's married four times. Okay, people get married lots. But then he turns to Lynette and he's just like, "Uh, do you have anything else you want to grill me on? Yeah. Or what else do you need to know? I don't need to know anything. I want to get to know you.
0: Yeah, this is a very strange, angry person. Yeah. Later, food has arrived and Frank is pissed off because there's no mayo with his food. No, there is mayo. Oh, there is mayo. He doesn't want mayo. He said it 10 times. Mm. He lifts up his burger bun and he's like, oh. Mum manages to get rid of him and asks Lynette what she thinks of him. And she asks how she can marry such a jerk. She says you cannot seriously love him. And then Stella admits that she doesn't. And she's only doing this to get put in the will because he's rich. And you, do you know what, Lynette, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Let her do this. Let your mum marry this rich asshole. Lynette's pretty shocked by this. But Stella says that she's tried marriage for love three times and none of them worked out before admitting that she broke her for having sex with him.
1: He's an asshole. Marry him and take his money. He will die. He will die. Old people die. I'm sorry to have to say this, you know, and to bring the tone down a bit, but old people die, okay? And then, Lynette, eventually your mum will die, which uh, means that you will get the money, and then if you feel that badly about it, spend his riches making reparations for the people that he's been an asshole to.
0: Yeah, which is pretty much what Tom says, except for the reparations thing.
1: Yeah, but also it is worth mentioning that he calls Lynette... Lorraine <laughs> when he leaves the table, and so he goes, "See you, Lorraine or something. Uh, what the fuck?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh the person that just can't get your name right. Yeah, it's so rude. So Lynette and Tom are at the wedding getting ready, and Lynette has reservations about the whole thing still. Tom, however, tells her that maybe this is a good thing, as the mum him and the mum are gonna die someday, so maybe they'll get all the money. She seems shocked by his joke, but he says in all seriousness that she should try and be happy for her mother. Lynette then wheels her mum down the aisle, smiling. But when she sees Frank snapping his fingers and pointing at his watch, she wheels her into another room. She's had enough.
1: And I'm just—if he was a nice person, if this Frank dude was really nice and who's being manipulated by Stella, then I get it. I would get stepping in. But he's a douchebag. So really, I kinda of don't see why they can't just be with each other. Lynette's even
0: said previously, her mum's not the nicest person. So just let them be together. Yeah, she's not much better, really, is she? No. So Stella asks what's happening, and Lynette opens up about everything that she's feeling right now, saying that Frank is awful. She then tells Lynette that she doesn't have much going for her, as the kids never see her. Lynette has her own family, so she kind of feels like she needs Frank, and she knows that Frank needs her. Lynette then asks why she never told her this, and she says that it isn't easy being lonely and admitting to being lonely, and then they get ready to go back outside. Frank quickly asks what the holdup is, and she just straight up tells him, Lynette doesn't think you're good enough for me. And he says it's true, but we need to hurry up so that we can get out of this ethnic neighbourhood before his car gets, like, damaged or stolen or something.
1: I don't care what Stella says. She can't convince me that it's not about the money. She's here yeah. like, oh, I'm so lonely. I'm just a little old lonely lady. No lies. It's about the money.
0: Hey, this might be the only man that's going for her as well.
1: Yeah. So well, it, she did I guess say it could be. she did actually say in the previous, like in one of the earlier scenes about how um she was lucky to get him. He was she was doing you know synchronized swimming or water aerobics or something like that, and um he was the only man in the pool. So she was lucky to get near him Damn,
0: yeah I bet they were
1: pining for him <laughs> yeah, I bet all of the women in that pool Were going at each other Trying to get to that spot next to him
0: <laughs> So that was Lynette's story It was quite clearly A throwaway episode for Lynette Yeah. Just a fun little thing mm. Now let's move on to Bree's story Which has a little bit more moral ambiguity Yeah. A random beautiful woman Approaches Bree on the front steps Telling her that she's looking for Keith Bree asks for a message, and the woman introduces herself as Amber James. Amber. And tells Bree that her and Keith are old friends, asking to tell him to come by the inn. Bree then reveals that she is Keith's girlfriend, and Amber starts to cry and does a runoff, telling Bree to just forget about her.
1: Yeah, before, when Bree's trying to find out information about why this woman wants to talk to Keith and why she wants Keith to go to her hotel or whatever, and then Amber's like, God, you're kind of a nosy landlady, aren't you? Yeah that bitch does it look like i'm running a halfway house this isn't a hmo like get your eyes tested i was insulted for brie in that she, moment she's basically
0: saying you don't look like the type that he'd go out with so you must be what landlady squatter yeah <laughs> so brie and are in bed and Bree decides to wake Keith up by elbowing him in the back she tells him are you okay you were yelling amber amber in your sleep and asks what's in his mind If you tried this, just saying, if you tried this with me, I'd be kicking you out of the fucking bed. I wouldn't
1: blame you. This was horrible. Don't elbow me awake for a conversation that, no offense, could have waited till the morning.
0: Yeah, exactly. He then tells her he dated a girl called Amber seven years ago. She asks if it was serious and he says that they lived together, but she left him. She asks if he misses her, but he doesn't dwell on people that broke his heart and goes back to bed. The next day, Brie visits Amber at the inn, telling her that she's concerned about her following her visit, when they are interrupted by a small child, Charlie. Amber tells Bree he's now six, so now she knows that this is most likely Keith's son.
1: This story is insane.
0: Yeah. Now all of a sudden he's got a kid. We cut to another scene in the inn, and Brie asks why she didn't tell Keith about being pregnant, and she says that she didn't think it'd be the right thing to ambush him with a kid, as she puts it. Charlie is now old enough to be asking lots of questions about his dad, and so she felt that she owed it to Charlie to tell Keith about him, but now she doesn't feel like she can do it. So Brie offers to do it for her. And
1: this is where it gets insane. I just I don't get the mentality of these two women right now. Like Amber wanted to give up the child, then changed her mind at the last minute. Fine, that happens. But then you decide not to tell the dad for six years because it just didn't feel like the right time, and then just decide six years down the line because the child's asking and you can't be bothered to keep thinking of an answer that you want to loop the dad back in after you've taken away six years of a possibility of him being a present father
0: it's pretty crazy isn't it i didn't want to ambush him with a child so six years later i'll I'll ambush him with a bigger child
1: (laughs) yeah like a bigger child that's now asking questions and who you've now got to make the effort with trying to fix six years worth of you not being there
0: yeah she must have legitimately thought i can just keep coming up with whatever I say, but I guess it wasn't working. Bree and Keith are having dinner and Bree tells Keith about how Bob and Lee are excited about becoming fathers, which reminded her of Keith saying that he was okay with not having children. She then asks if you had the chance to be a father would you not take it, but he just seems confused as they've already spoken about this. She then tries to ask if he'd had a choice, but he just says I don't have a choice. So, it's not going well, Brie. Your subtleness is not working here.
1: No, because she's asking stupid questions. Like, someone's desire for a child doesn't just go away overnight. Yeah. Like, it's not like, oh, I know you've said that you're happy with us not having a child, but do you still want a child? Yes, Brie. I still would like a child. But, you know, I would, I'm would. i happy in this relationship more, so I've picked this relationship. For now. But, girl, you offered to tell him, so just tell him. like.
0: But she is definitely thinking right now
1: this relationship could end. Oh, like, yeah. Like, like, really soon. Oh, absolutely. And it's only going to end if she now lies.
0: Yeah. So we then cut to Brie going to the inn and telling Amber that Keith doesn't want to see Charlie. <laughs> Amber is clearly upset and Brie gives a check saying that her and Keith feel that they just need to do something, which she is reluctant to accept at first, yeah. but she does. And then Brie leaves. Isn't she
1: supposed to be like Christian or Catholic or whatever? Like, think hey, plan- Brie. Yeah, like I can't remember what her religion is supposed to be.
0: Not Catholic, definitely not Catholic. Some sort of Christianity or some sort of flavour of it. Yeah,
1: but like, it's some religion that does not condone lying. Oh yeah. This is not a little white lie. Like, you pretend that you like your friend's hairstyle or when your mum makes a dinner and you claim it's delicious. Like, it's not that kind of lie.
0: I've never done that if I didn't find it delicious.
1: Yeah, because you're incapable of lying. I was joking. In any serious (laughs) setting. You just have to say it, regardless of how how it may appear to the other person. This other person could be like, I really like this jumper. I spent like 70 quid on it. It's really nice. It really makes me feel very good about myself. And
0: you go, it's trash. Can we stick to the facts that (laughs) pertain to the case? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, she she can be quite morally questionable sometimes, Albury, she's She's very up for these Christian values. But then, my God, she does some terrible things. Yeah. The next morning, Brie is cutting her roses and Keith asks why she's doing it so violently. As it looks less like pruning and more like... Murder. Rose slaughtering. Literally, literal murder. And she tells him sometimes you have to be brutal if you want something beautiful to keep growing. She's and like, Keith, bring
1: me the axe.
0: It's about the relationship, right? Of course it's it not is. not about the roses. Of course it is, yeah. Sometimes you have to be brutal to let something beautiful grow.
1: And like, sure, Bri, you tell yourself that girl. You tell yourself whatever you need to to tell yourself right now in the moment.
0: I don't think she realizes that this is not a flower that's going that that's gonna grow beautifully. This is gonna wither. Yeah. But I love when they do these. I know. Bad things. It's it makes it. it makes inter- it's interesting TV. It makes good TV. Brie, this is ugly, and you should work on that. <laughs> <laughs> now let's break up the episode a little bit in the middle here and have a little breather and talk about a nice short sweet little story, which is Renee. <laughs> Renee sees a woman leaving Bob and Lee's house, and she's instantly angry. Honest to God, forgot the storyline was even
1: in this episode. You said Renee, and I was like, It has three scenes, but they're
0: so short that they're not really scenes. No, but it's a cute story, so yeah. She approaches, and when Lee answers the door, she angrily asks what Lee was doing, talking to an inferior interior designer, like Barbara Fairchild. Or should I say inferior designer? Yeah. (laughs) She acts annoyed at them for hiring an interior designer like her, rather than Renee, and Lee says it's because Renee doesn't come across as maternal. She then says that she'll do it faster and 20% cheaper, so him and Bob both agree.
1: Like the cheek, the nerve, the audacity, the gall and the gumption <laughs> right. of knowing that your neighbour and friend has started an interior design company and you deliberately not choose them.
0: In all fairness, what Lee said wasn't incorrect.
1: <laughs> also, Lynette is in the business and after the way that she behaved with Lee a few episodes ago, I kind of don't blame him for wanting to shy away from her.
0: Yeah, it would make sense if they had brought Susan into the business mm. after the last time they were hired to do a child's room, because, you know, that didn't really go that well either. No, it didn't. Um, no, it didn't. A couple of days later, Renee takes the boys into the newly decorated room to show them her work and Lee isn't exactly positive, asking if she kept the receipts. However, when they actually do see the room, they love it. Lee asks how she put it together so quickly, and Renee says that she used to imagine having kids and the room that she would decorate for her own daughter if she had one, down to the last detail. They then tell her it's never too late, and then she does a walk out before they can see her cry, but I think they already noticed. Yeah, she kind of like made some cock and bull story about
1: the trim not being the colour that they and so she needed to go call the painter or something,
0: but... I'm confused. Why? Because she did such a piss-poor job with the last child's room that she had to decorate. Apparently it was so cold, but this one is so nice. Yeah,
1: well, it's because she designed it after her child, like her dream child, didn't she? Yeah. Which she clearly wanted with Tom. But still,
0: I'm confused. Yeah,
1: maybe it was Lynette that was the problem in the last... One. i
0: don't know renee was pretty defensive about the choices
1: yeah she was well, maybe she's defending her friend like this this room is so much nicer than the last room that bob and lee had for the other baby that they were going to adopt you know the one that gabby walked in on
0: and it was hideous And it was like just every wall was a different color and like ugh. so bob and lee have just picked up their new daughter jenny from the airport and the first person they take her to meet is renee yeah they do call her jenny don't they mm-hmm. thought her name was liza thank fuck that didn't happen So Bob and Jenny then leave, and Lee asks if Jenny can talk to Renee when she needs to talk about girl stuff. Jenny. Which Renee agrees to. Lee says he'll go and tell Jenny that if she ever needs to talk about girl stuff, she can go talk to her auntie Renee, and Renee says that if Jenny ever calls her that, she'll kick her. She
1: can always go to her old auntie Renee, and if she calls me old auntie, I will kick her.
0: He then leaves, and Renee is clearly very touched by this whole thing.
1: I think it's really sweet that they've picked Renee almost like a godmother.
0: Yeah. Um, God knows how that'll go in the long run. I think it will be really good for Renee. And yeah. I think
1: it would be good for Jenny as well.
0: Yeah. So that was a nice little story to break up the episode. was a little palate cleanser of a story, yes. Yes. So now that we've had that, let's go back to all of the tragedy that could possibly happen. Carlos approaches Gabby angrily about a credit card bill from a doll factory. He asks why she's spending money on fancy dolls when their kids destroy everything that they touch. And she lies and says it's a doll for Bob and Lee. He's still annoyed because the the bill was eight hundred dollars, and Gabby tells him to pace himself so that he's ready for the platinum card bill.
1: Yeah, and I respect that she goes right to the sex when Carlos gets mad. Yeah, oh, she's like, oh, did <laughs> I say I meant sex? Do you want some sex? And that didn't work. <laughs> no, and I, it's something I could never do. I don't have that thought process. Carlos just doesn't fall for it. No, and like Gabby can't do anything right with Carlos. What do you mean? He makes her sad. She gets sad, he moans. Mm-hmm. She cheers herself up by buying things because he makes her sad, and he moans.
0: Yeah, because we know that she does retail therapy. Yeah,
1: so it's she can't win with him. Either she doesn't do the retail therapy, and she is visibly sad, at which point he gets pissed off at her. Or she does the retail therapy,
0: hides her sadness a little bit better, and then he gets pissed off at her. Gabby goes to Karen's place to get a restaurant menu, and then sees that Karen has a doll on the shelf just like hers. This prompts Gabby to get out her own doll, which Karen seems a little surprised by, and then Gabby says that maybe they could be sisters, the dolls that is, and that all of them should go for tea at the double store sometime.
1: This honestly like a scene from a horror movie, like Karen, poor old Karen just turns around and Gabby has snapped. She's there with like a her big smile and her, and you know, princess, whatever her name is, Valerie.
0: Yeah, she's, and Karen looks at her like she's holding a knife. Yeah. So Karen says that she's curious to see where this is going to go, so she agrees to it.
1: (laughs) I'm kind of curious to see where this all goes. (laughs) She plays confused yet incredibly entertained, and also slightly concerned very well.
0: Yeah, I'm half upset and half glad they didn't actually do this scene. Half upset because it would have been funny, but also half glad because it could have been seen as in bad taste. Yeah. The next day, Karen goes over to Gabby's house to talk to Carlos. He answers the door, and she asks how Gabby's been doing following... Well, everything. And Carlos thinks that she's been doing all right because Carlos is a dumb idiot. And Karen says, yeah, think again. Implying that she now tells him about the doll. A rough patch. That's all Carlos has to say about it. That's not what I would call it, Carlos. I just love her candor. The way she goes, think again.
1: I just... Karen looks like the kind of person who would tell Carlos this out of concern but also looks like she'd have a good time doing it. Oh, yeah. Like she'd be crying with laughter or reliving it. But no, it's not really a laughter moment. Yeah. But she's trying to... It's sad that we don't really get the scene with her and Carlos. But it's, it's like she's trying to tell Carlos what's happened. But also laughing at the the sheer silliness of what she's trying to say. Like, yeah, your wife's
0: gone insane and she's playing for dolls. Maybe in the future her and Gabby can laugh about this. Maybe. But probably not. We then cut to a shot of Gabby finding the doll on a chair and talks to it as well. She's like, how did you get here? (laughs) Well, yeah, it's just on a chair. And she's the only one that knows of this, where where this doll always is. So she's probably a bit freaked out. Annabelle 4. And Carlos asks (laughs) why she lied to him about the doll. She says it's because he wouldn't understand, which he doesn't in all fairness. He doesn't, no. And she says the doll makes her happy. He says he wants her to be happy, but that this is about grace. And she yells at him and says that they're not supposed to talk about grace. That was your rule before she goes upstairs to change for dinner. It's so sad.
1: Oh yeah, she snaps. Like, completely snaps when Carlos mentions Grace's name, and that's because he's caused this. Yeah. He, like, the audacity for Carlos to yell at Gabby for even mentioning Grace, but then he gets to say it. Yeah. Perfectly fine. And if the roles were reversed, and if Gabby had said Grace's name right in that scene, Carlos would not have allowed it.
0: So Gabby and Carlos get in the car, and Carlos is jump-scared by the doll on the back seat in its own little chair. Yeah, that's just a bit weird. Like, Jesus, Gabby. (laughs) He tells Gabby that maybe they should see a therapist together. Sorry, I'm laughing at the jumpscare, not the therapist. But (laughs) Gabby thinks that she doesn't need one, which is also laughable. We cut to them driving down a road and arguing over being lost, so he pulls over to put the address into the sat-nav. A guy with a gun then tells them to get out of the car. Gabby tries to get the doll out of the car, telling the guy to just hold on for a second while she gets her baby out, but the buckle is stuck. He sees that it's a doll and thinks that she's trying something, so he threatens to shoot her in the head, leading to Carlos pulling her out of the car as she screams that she can't undo the seatbelt. Heartbreaking. And the guy drives off in the car with the doll still in the seat.
1: Baby, the doll's got a name. It's a doll. Princess Valerie. He drove off with Princess Valerie. Princess
0: Valerie has been kidnapped. She screams and cries and Carlos tells her the doll isn't Grace. And then she breaks down in his arms. Horrible. Like,
1: oh my God, I can't. I, this scene lives, what's what's the saying that the kids say? Lives free. rent free in my mind. Like, it's devastating.
0: Yeah. Why do the writers keep doing this? So now she's lost another child. She's literally lost
1: another child. And then Carlos has to remind her it's not Grace. And like, fuck me, I swear, I cry every
0: time. I was watching this <laughs>
1: watching this during my lunch break on Friday, crying
0: while I'm writing the notes. And I'm like, <laughs>
1: Every time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this one was really rough. That was fun. Let's move Mm. on to Paul's story quickly. (laughs) Yeah. So the episode starts. Mary Alice opens by telling us how Paul has discovered that his marriage with Beth is a lie and that she is a big fat liar and that he wants to punish her. (laughs) We then see him tell Beth that he's being let out early from hospital and Beth tells him that things have been getting strange on the lane. She tells him that the ladies are trying to frame her after finding a gun under her pillow when she was around Bree's house.
1: Paul is mad, and it's only been made worse by the fact that Beth clearly asked Paul's advice as to whether she should hang out with the ladies. He said, no, you absolutely shouldn't, and she ignored it anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's unhappy about that. (laughs) Paul seems to think Beth is lying, and tells her that he knows the truth, and then suggests that they go on a trip somewhere secluded.
1: In the middle of nowhere. I'm sorry that I don't trust anybody enough to go on a trip out of the blue in the middle of nowhere.
0: No, not out of the blue. It's a bit...
1: I've seen enough murder documentaries, you know, meet, Mary, murder or marry love, murder, I don't know, all those weird Netflix documentaries about husbands and wives murdering their spouse by taking them away into the middle of nowhere because you think, you think it's never the husband, you think you're happy and in love, and it turns out, I don't know, they're already having an affair with some woman that works at your local
0: bingo hall. Even though statistically, they always go, they always suspect the partner first. They do always suspect the partner first, yes. Maybe there's a reason for that. There is. Beth wakes up to see Paul sitting on a chair and just kind of, watching her not creepy at all while crying (laughs) way to make it obvious you're plotting against her
1: (laughs) if i'd already agreed to go away with you by this point this is the moment where i go yeah i should have trusted my (laughs) gut
0: yeah he looks a bit crazy just crying in the moonlight yeah oh god why is he crying she asks what he's doing and he says that he's just thinking about all the hatred inside of him for his neighbors his son disowning him and whoever tried to kill him yeah, maybe you should see a therapist if you've got rage, Paul. Yeah, a lot of rage. A but lot. she knew that when she got of him. She did, yeah. Beth tells him to basically chill out because he's a nice guy and that he has her. And he says that he thinks about her too and how he just wanted her to love him. Yeah. She tells him to come back to bed, so he does. And then she says they need to decide where to go for their trip the next day. He tells her that he's booked a cabin in the woods far, far away. Away. Where no one can find them. So she says, okay, and then lays down. She then says that he needs to identify what is negative in his life and get rid of it. Well, she just signed her own death wish right there. She really did. That's not really the best advice to give right now, but she doesn't know that. I
1: would be so pissed if I was Beth right now. In this scene, she literally says to Paul, you need to focus on what's good in your life. And Paul says, and what is that? Rough. I am
0: sorry, but I'm sat right here, husband. Especially when they've been getting closer in a nice way. (laughs) Yeah. Before the mother-in-law thing came out. And I know Beth has lied, but she
1: clearly does not have a vengeful bone in her tiny little body.
0: So Beth is leaving a note for the gardener to let him know where they're going to be in case there's any problems. And then when she walks away, Paul scrunches up that note. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird. That's suspicious. (laughs) He then sees detectives showing up and tells Beth to go grab some blankets for the cabin, and then he goes outside to talk to them in private. They then tell him about the gun found at Bree's and that Bree thinks that Beth planted it as a means to implicate one of them in the shooting. Paul passes this off as just wild imagination, and then the detective shows Paul the gun and asks if he recognizes it, which gives him pause so he clearly does recognize the gun.
1: Yeah, absolutely, but yet again, this is another scene where Paul clearly can't lie to save his life but these detectives just don't notice
0: yeah he's a like paul the character is not a good actor no he's not but paul tells them it's not beth's gun he goes back inside and says to beth that they're not going to the cabin due to a problem with the cabin after receiving a call outside and he says not to worry they dodged a bullet Maybe this almost
1: moment is enough to make Paul pause and consider talking to his wife before jumping to murder.
0: Yeah, maybe I shouldn't jump to conclusions and murder my wife. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. That is it. That's the episode. That's the episode. So let's move on to our next segment where Joel's going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment. So Joel, what do you have for the gayest moment?
1: My award for gayest moment... goes to Renee for the bedroom that she designed. The baby unicorns, the fringe trim on the blinds, like having this planned out since she was like 10, I bet. I liked it. Bitch had a whole Pinterest board for this bedroom. I can guarantee it. And what do you have for straightest moment? My award for straightest moment... It goes to Frank for crying when he sees mayo. <laughs> like, think of how mental he'd have been if he knew, or if he found out that it was, like, light mayo or something.
0: Yeah. And it would have been very gay if he was crying because it was brown sauce. Yeah, I know. Like, he <laughs> lifts, I fucking hate brown sauce. He
1: lifts up the bun and he's like,
0: oh, no. Yeah. He had a
1: strong reaction to the mayo. A real strong reaction to the fact that it's literally mayo. And I know people are like, you either love mayo or you hate mayo. But it, what? It's not like mustard. And now we move on to Bees awards for Best and Worst Parent. So who do you have for the best? So my award for... Best parent of the episode.
0: You're going to love this. I gave it to Gabby for trying to set up a play date for her daughter doll. (laughs) 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 Getting her those friends, those connections. Well, as far as she's concerned, it's her daughter and she's trying to get her a play date and that's good parenting. Yeah, with Adelaide. I think that was the name that um, Karen gave her doll.
1: Oh, Adelaide? Yeah, it's Adelaide. (laughs) princess valerie in adelaide besties for life
0: yeah that's a that sounds like a christmas movie
1: does that mean worst parent goes to carlos for allowing princess valerie to get kidnapped
0: who can well let's find out <laughs> my would four
1: worst parent of the episode
0: goes to gabby for losing her daughter as well as hundreds of others by this point <laughs> oh my god the audacity <laughs> I'm just joking. That is not who I gave it to. Oh, okay. I just went to see re- your reaction. I gave it to Brie for lying to Keith about Amber and Charlie. Yes, okay. Which is okay. not very motherly. No. I guess I could also have given it to Amber, actually. You could have. You, you can know can always what? give it joint. You can give I'm, it joint. No, I'm redacting it. I'm giving it to oh, Amber. A redaction. Sorry, Amber. I'm giving it to Amber. I'm
1: going to have to redact the retittle to your rebuttal.
0: Yeah. I'm giving it to Amber for not telling Keith about charlie
1: i get it if you you know you'd left it a few months because you were originally going to give up the baby and then you changed your mind at the last minute and so now you're a bit like oh okay i'm gonna have to think about how i do this because it's gonna be a shock but six years yeah six years i just i don't i don't understand it i could never i don't think i could ever put myself into the mindset of amber enough to fully ever understand her thought process in that decision i just don't no um
0: well we're very lucky in that way we are we are very lucky in that way there's probably a lot of legitimate reasons that she didn't do it but yeah it's it's crazy Mm. so bravo bravo fucking bravo (laughs) to all award winners this episode for season seven episode 13 i'm still here yes if anyone has any questions queries comments and theories where can they find us
1: you can find us on instagram at boyfriends review
0: we also have email, which is at outlook.com, and all of the artwork is done by Louis, who you can find on Instagram at dotgredmonkdesign, and there is a link to his Etsy page where he does do commissions. Join us next time when we'll be back in your ear holes with Season 7, Episode 14, Flashback. <gasps> See you then, guys. Bye. Bye.